Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at a remarkable story together of God's uh, grace and working in the lives of his people, and we're going to find a stark and a striking example of uh, the obedience of one of his own. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 28 together. Before we do that together, let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that in our weakness you are strong. I thank you that you work in the lives of our children. God, we pray that you would help us to keep the commitments that we've made to you. And Father, now as we turn to your word in this service, we pray very simply that you would illumine our hearts and minds, that we might know and understand your word, that we would that we would receive truth from it, God, that we would receive grace from it, that you would give, give us wisdom and knowledge, that we would be built up for faith and good works, and that we would be used to bring about your glory. God, write the gospel upon our hearts this morning from this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning of verse 21, it says, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you and wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, a nepha of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in, in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So this is a remarkable story of another baby dedication, if you will, where one of God's own is bringing, according to a vow that she made, her child to be given over to the Lord. And this is a peculiar story. And in some ways, it may even be a difficult story story for us to understand. And I'm going to try to help you with that a little bit um, this morning. And so what I want to do is I want us to ask a few questions rather than having, you know, some, some alliterated points. I, I think the best way to really understand what was going on here is simply to ask what God was doing, what Hannah was doing, and what Samuel was doing. And that's where we're going to begin. So let's just, let's just jump right in. If you're, if you're visiting with us or if you were not with us last week, then um, we're studying through the book of 1 Samuel. We started this study a week ago uh, in the life of our church. We are uh, normally preaching through books of the Bible. We preach through Mark, and we have recently completed a study through the book of James. But So now in God's providence and grace, we're entering into the study of 1 Samuel, and it's um, a study that I'm excited about. And so what we saw was that we were introduced to this family, this man Elkanah and his two wives and the turmoil that was raging in their life at home. For one of the wives was able to bear children and the other was barren. The scripture tells us that the Lord 
had closed Hannah's womb. But Hannah is a righteous woman. And so she is distraught, as we saw. She, she is in a place of deep darkness and despair. And she, she brings her petition to the Lord. And she is in the temple praying and asking God to deliver her from this despair and to look favorably upon her. And we saw the great commitment that she has to him and desire uh, to, to be found in his presence and her genuine belief and understanding that God, the creator alone, the sovereign king over his people is also the king over her heart. And that he cares about the most intimate details of her life. And so she makes this petition to God. And then we saw at the very end of uh, the passage that we read last time, if you look at verse 20, it says, And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So, so Samuel, this great man of God that is going to be used in a mighty way for the deliverance of God's people, God's prophet, he, he, he bursts onto the scene. God is uh, working in this family and working in the life of Hannah uh, to bring about his redemptive purposes, not, not only for them, but for all of us, for God's people throughout history. And he's, and he's doing so in this time of great sadness. And so, first of all, what, what was God doing? And so we're going to back up by way of, I, I think, general consideration of the text, if you will. Um, don't, don't miss... Don't, don't miss what I said last time, and I alluded to it, and I, I tried to give you some hint at the importance of it because we were going to come back and revisit it again when the, when the text tells us, when the Scripture tells us that, her, that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. But, but, then, but then the Lord comes to Hannah in her barrenness and in her despair and in her, uh, and in her struggle, and he opens her womb, and he blesses her with a child. What in the world was God doing? Friends, I don't know that it would have been any consolation to Hannah, but let us not forget the mighty list of those women in the testimony of Scripture who experienced barrenness. And then let's consider what God was doing through all of those women. We, we think of those like Sarah, from whose barrenness God would bring Isaac. The seed of God's promise to Abraham to make his people a mighty nation. We think about Rebecca in her barrenness. God would work and act to bring about Jacob, the mighty man of God. We think about Manoah's barren wife, from whom would come the mighty judge Samson. You can go forward to the New Testament. I'm not going to name all of them, but just thinking in my mind as I was making my notes this week, moving to the New Testament, you think about Elizabeth, from whom would come John the Baptist, the great forerunner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this text, we see Hannah with a, in good company, in a fellowship, if you will, of barren women, who have experienced and understand something of the despair and the destitution and the difficulty of not being able to have children, the feelings of inadequacy as a woman and as a wife, the inability to provide her family and her husband with the things that they wanted and longed for and potentially even needed, the feelings of insufficiency that she would have had, and the Utter inability to do anything about it. For when a woman is barren, what, what can they do to fix it? 
God is the giver of life, is he not? God is the one who bestows life and gives children and opens the womb. There's nothing that we can do to change that. And so I want you to see that I don't know that it would have encouraged Hannah that day, but I think it's going to be very encouraging for us as we begin to consider what God was doing in this text and working in this family to do, is to remember that she enjoyed a fellowship of barrenness. Friends, I think the point is this. It was from her barrenness that Samuel would come, the great prophet of God, who would be instrumental in God's appointing and raising up a king over his own people. Friends, that king ultimately would be David. Do you see how that one of the greatest chapters in God's plan for the redemption of his people began from these incredibly bleak and desperate circumstances? And so I think in this we see a clear pattern First of all, that God does not need our strength or our ability to bring about his greatest purposes and plan for our lives. In fact, we're going to go even farther. Dr. Dale Ralph Davis, who I had the privilege of just coincidentally in God's providence. I mean, I had the privilege to go Friday and listen to speak in Jackson. A a, a friend of mine, a mentor, someone I've learned from in seminary, wonderful preacher and theologian, listen to what he says about this. New chapters in Yahweh's history with his people begin from nothing. God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. Our hopelessness and our helplessness are no barrier to his work. Indeed, he says, our utter incapacity is often the prop God delights to use for his very next act. When his people are without strength and without resources and without hope and without human gimmicks, it is then God loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. Friends, do you see that when we begin to understand that God is delighted to bring about his greatest acts in redemptive history and in our life out of our nothingness and our incapacity and our inability, when we begin to understand that, it is a source of great encouragement to us, isn't it? Because I don't know, I don't know where you are this morning, but what I know is that life is difficult for all of us and that the providences of God are not always easy. That you may, like Hannah and Sarah and Rebecca and Elizabeth, you may be in a deep and a dark valley of despair and difficulty in your family, at your job, in your own mind and heart. And it may be a valley from which you cannot ascend. You, you cannot get out of it. There's nothing that you can do to change it. You are totally unable to do and to provide, and to work, and to move. Friends, take great courage from what God is doing in this text with this family and with Hannah. God closed Hannah's womb so that in his strength, he could open it and include Hannah in redemptive history in a mighty way. Do you see that? Don't miss it. Friends, God may have have put you in a very difficult circumstance. 
but it is not to beat you down. Understand that God means everything in the lives of his people for their good. Ultimately, that they would bring about his glory and take great encouragement and comfort and hope from knowing, like Hannah, that the pattern of God is to begin his greatest acts from our inability and insufficiency. For it is when you realize that you are nothing, that in your weakness, the strength of God might abound. And praise God for that reality. So first, what God was doing. But secondly, let's turn more particularly to what Hannah was doing. The text itself for today. We see that Hannah has pleaded with God and God has looked favorably upon her and remembered her in her day of trouble. We saw in verse 20 that in due time she conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel. And if you remember, she promised that if God would give her a son, that she would give the child over to the Lord for all of the days of his life. In fact, she committed him and took for him a Nazarite vow from before his birth. And so then the story continues in verse 21. It says the man Elkanah and his house, they went up as they customarily did. We know from the very beginning of the text it was a regular occurrence. He was a faithful man. They went up to offer to the Lord their yearly sacrifice and to pay their vows. But notice, Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that they may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And so Elkanah, her husband, consents, Do what seems best to you and wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word, he says. So in due time, the child is weaned, and she comes with her family along with the offerings and the sacrifices that they are to bring to make. She brings the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and they bring them with Samuel to the house of the Lord at Shiloh while he was still young. They made the offerings and the sacrifices there, and then she declares to the Lord, As you live, O my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence talking to Eli. She says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given him to me according to my petition that I made known to him. Then look at verse 28. Therefore... I have lent him to the Lord. It's actually very difficult to translate. You see it says, I've lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. It, it's very difficult to translate. It it's actually says, I have asked him of the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is asked of the Lord. So do you see that in Hannah's very language and what she is doing, she is reflecting in her act of worship the very working and gracious gift of God and his providence. That I asked him of the Lord, that he will continue to be asked of the Lord. I'm going to remember that this child is not my own, that I did not create him, that he is only with us and our family, that he has only been given to me because of the gracious and good hand of my God and my Savior. I asked of the Lord... And, and the Lord gave, and so I have committed and made a vow that the Lord will have him and that I will commit him to the Lord. So the first thing that we consider her to be doing, and though it may seem a bit weird to us, almost a little bit bad, I mean, how can a mother do this to her child? She is dedicating the child to the Lord according to God's gracious favor and blessing. She understands that the gift is only possessed because God in his graciousness has given it. Friends, when we get to the place where we know that everything we have is only from the Lord, it is not by our own design and it is not by our own creation, it is according to the good hand and favor of God, then we are, then we are eased 
to not hold on to them so tightly, whatever it may be. But she comes and she says, I asked of the Lord for this child, and he will continue to remain the Lord's because the Lord has given him to me, and I have made this vow. Friends, do you see that she saw, I mean, we may look at this a bit tragically, and we're actually going to revisit this idea in a little bit at the end. I mean, this child, though he would have been weaned, she would have waited a few years. In that time, it probably would have been maybe around the age of three. It could have, it could have been maybe up to five. But she's bringing a three- to five-year-old child to the priest in the temple that day, and she's going to leave him there for the days of his life. And, and we, we look at that in, in our mind today, and we think, this is almost cruel. I mean, doesn't he need his family, and doesn't he need his mother, and... Friends, do you understand that Hannah saw the greatest tragedy? Not to be her absence from his life, but God's absence from his life. That what was more important to Hannah than her provision and her care and her ideas and her designs for the child God had given her was that the child not only be given by God's design and providence, but that he be taken under the care and providence of the same king that ruled her heart. Friends, I think about all of the things. I have four children, one of whom we have made a commitment to, by God's grace, raised according to the gospel and the scriptures this morning, but I have four children. And, and I, think, I think about what are the things that I want most for my kids? You know, and, and we want our children to be, to have good educations. And we want our children to be strong. And we want our children to be, to some degree, happy and blessed. And we want our children uh, to have good jobs and to be vocationally uh, set and we want our children to be successful, and we want our children uh, to be close to us. And to Friends, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. But isn't it interesting that the Scripture doesn't command any of those things for our children necessarily? That what the Scripture requires of our children is that they know and that they love the Lord. That the greatest concern of God's Word for our children is that they know Jesus Christ personally. And friends like Hannah, we've got to get to a place where we commit our children, our greatest blessings, whatever they may be, where we understand that they have come from God. And so we give them back over to him, where we commit them to him, dedicate them to him, understanding that the greatest tragedy is if any of the blessings that God has given us are not stewarded for his glory to make him known. Friends, the greatest tragedy is if you have beautiful, intelligent, successful, healthy, happy children who die in their sin apart from Jesus Christ. You may be close to them. You may have a great relationship with them. Friends, what we should long for most, and I have to remind myself of that day in and day out, is that they are the Lord's. That, that they are His. And what's most important before we teach them how to be good workers and before we teach them how to be good citizens and before we teach them how to be anything in our family, it is that we teach them how to know and love Jesus. I'm guilty of wanting uh, things for my children that maybe 
God does not require. And how often are we guilty of maybe requiring things of our kids that God does not? God requires that they know him and that they love him. And then secondly, she's dedicating her child to the Lord because she understands that God is better at taking care of him than she is. And and I, I think this is a point that we miss. I can't imagine someone taking care of my children. You know why? Because I think if they're not right with me and right underneath my hand and right according to my wisdom, that I'm the best at providing for them and meeting their needs. Friends, very simply, do you see that Hannah was able to give her child at this young age to the house of God, to the priest Eli, and commit him to the Lord at Shiloh because she believed with all of her heart that God did not need her to care for, provide for, and come alongside to redeem her children. Friends, that's not to abdicate us of that responsibility. Let us labor to be faithful parents, but let us do so understanding that God does not need us. He allows us. So let us be driven to faithfulness. Let it drive us to faithfulness. So what's she doing? She's dedicating her child to the Lord, but she's also doing so because she's keeping the vow that she made. This is one of the most striking parts of this. The reason this is taking place is because as she prayed to the Lord in the midst of her despair, she promised God that it would be so. God, if you will bless me with this child, I will give him to you all the days of his life. Well, guess what? The child came. And you can only imagine, can't you, in those nine months of pregnancy, looking forward to the day when the child would arrive and then even at the day of the birth and the celebration of his life can you imagine in the back of hannah's mind that she understood all along that i will have him but for a short time what what am i going to do with this commitment that i made was i thinking clearly when i made it was it a good idea friends there's a very practical application of this and that is simply this Let us be careful to attend the vows that we make to the Lord. This cannot be understated. How often do we plead with God and make commitments to God, and then the keeping of those commitments becomes difficult? And so we don't don't keep them, and we come up with all sorts of reasons why We should not keep them and why it would be better if we did not keep them. But what I want you to see is that Hannah, even with the giving of her child over to the Lord all the days of his life, she made a commitment to God and she kept it. Mary J. Evans, the commentator, she says this, commitment to God. Well, we'll come to that in just a moment. Think about all the ways that you've said, I haven't committed anything to the Lord lately. Friends, we sang songs this morning. Where even if you were not, if you were just mundanely and sort of monotonously reading the words on the screen and singing along, friends, in those words were commitments to the Lord. Where we commit and profess to believe certain things and to trust Him for certain things and to do certain things. And friends, let us be careful that whether it is a commitment made in prayer, a promise, whether it is a commitment in song, or even an unspoken vow that comes about by our thoughts and our deeds, if we make a commitment to the Lord, let us be careful to keep them. 
And so she is then also, notice, in the keeping of her vow, taking personal responsibility for seeing it through. Her faith and her obedience is her own. I love this about the text. Notice all of the personal pronouns that she begins to use. So the woman remained there. Notice she she comes to her husband, verse 22. Hannah did not go up. She said, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So her, her husband says to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So she remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she weaned him, she took him up with her, along with the offerings and the sacrifices that were to be made. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull there. They made the sacrifice, and she said to Eli, This is who I am. This is why I'm here. And then look what she says. I prayed and the Lord has granted my petition that I made known to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is going to be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there speaking about Samuel. I, want, I don't want to make too much of that, but what I want you to see is that she was careful in the keeping of her commitment to the Lord, in the keeping of her faith and obedience to God, that she did not trust in the faith and obedience of her family to be good enough. She had a faithful husband who yearly went up to make sacrifices, did she not? She was a part of a faithful, believing community there, a part of God's people. And I think so many times, even in our culture today, how often do we think, well, because my parents are believers or because my family is a part of a believing community in a church and because whatever the case may be, that it's somehow good enough for us. But she took this personal responsibility. Listen, Mary J. Evans, she says, commitment to God always includes community involvement. But relating to God is not just a matter of being part of a believing family or a believing nation or a believing church. Individual responsibility cannot be set aside by assuming that as long as the leaders, be they national, church, or family, fulfill their role, then the individual is covered. Hannah's faith was not just subsumed within the family worship, nor her commitment covered by the sacrifices that her husband brought. She made a vow and committed her child to the Lord. And friends, she brought the child to God. Let us be careful to take personal responsibility in acts of faith and obedience to the commitments and the vows that we make to God. So God was working from her nothingness to bring about his plan. And Hannah was dedicating her child to God according to God's blessing and according to the commitment that she had made to him. But then finally, and I've often wondered about the last little part of this text, and um, I want you to see this very quickly. What was Samuel doing? See, I think we look at this text, as I said earlier, and we think this is almost a tragic text. This mother is bringing this three-year-old child and she is committing him to the Lord and leaving him there with Eli, the priest. But look at the very last phrase of verse 28. It says, and Samuel worshiped the Lord there. Now, I, I, I wonder how, how, to what degree a three to five or six-year-old can worship the Lord. But what we know is that whatever, in whatever capacity he was able, he worshiped the Lord there at Shiloh. And I think the reason that we are given this is to encourage us not to run from extreme acts of devotion and to keep vows that we make even when the results may be questionable to us. 
I mean, let's, let's, let's think. What do we think about what would have happened? Oh, well, Samuel needs her, his mom. And can you imagine all of the justifications that, sh- that Hannah could have come up with for why I didn't really mean that or I, was in, I wasn't in my right mind when I said that. And although I made that, God is gracious and surely he doesn't expect me to keep that vow. God knows that my child needs me. Can you, you can only imagine all of the potential justifications that Hannah could have come up with in order to not keep her vow to the Lord, to run from this act of devotion and obedience, but she does not. And this text tells us that Samuel was not in despair. What? It does not say Samuel was crying and pulling at the, the, the dress of his mother. I don't want to read too much into this, but what does it tell us and why? That she drops him off as an act of faith and obedience, keeping the commitment she made to the Lord, an extreme act of devotion. And the result was not what she would have expected. Because Samuel would have been aware that from the first day of his birth, surely his parents would have told him, you are the Lord's. You have been committed to God. And when you come of age, you are going to be taken to the temple of God. And you're going to be given to the Lord to study under the priest of God. And God has a plan for you to use you in a mighty and in a wonderful way. He would have known this from the first day of his birth on this planet. He would have been told. He would have been reminded. And I think to some degree he would have been prepared. And what I want you to see is that on the day when she took him and left him, The Word of God, the holy inspired Word of God tells us that the child worshipped there. He, He was not lost. He was not in despair. Friends like Hannah, how often are we quick to come up with all sorts of reasons why this act or that of faithfulness and obedience is a bad idea because it's this we, we assume that this result is going to be bad there are so many examples and i can't even begin to give them all to you i mean i think about for example maybe maybe making corrupt financial or business decisions where we justify those things by saying, well, you know, if, if I'm faithful and if I do what's right, my family's not going to eat. And certainly God doesn't want my family to not eat and they're going to be hungry and they're going to be without food. And so it's okay for me to, to, to skirt around this issue and to be unfaithful to this issue. Maybe even more to the point, I think about the issue of abortion. Friends, how often is the practice of abortion justified because of what might come of the child and what might result in the family. And because if this child is kept, then it's going to be bad and our family's going to suffer and he's not going to be able to eat. And, and, and so we justify murder. But I really want you to think about this one example. It's really the only um, one that I'm going to give in any detail. And it's the issue of marriage and divorce. Speaking about a commitment that we make to the Lord and to our spouse. How often do we run from devotion to and faithfulness to our marriage vows? All the while justifying it because we foresee an end that is problematic. 
You know, because if, if I leave my spouse and because if we get a divorce, I would be happier. And if I'm happier, then my home is going to be a better environment for my children. And if it's a better environment for my children, then they're going to flourish more. And if I don't have this unbelieving spouse who's weighing me down, then if I can just get away from him or her, then I'm going to be able to worship God better. And then that's going to create a better environment Or maybe it's financial, and if we'll just separate, and if we'll just get away from each other, then we'll have a better financial situation. Uh, The list is never-ending. But do you see that because we assume what the ends will be, and we look down the sort of corridor of time, if you will, and we assume that if, if we do what God's asked us to do, that it will create problems for us, and it will have problematic effects on our life and on our families and on our churches. Do you see that she brought Samuel and gave him to the Lord as an act of devotion and faithfulness and obedience, and probably in a way that she never could have imagined it went well? Because the child worshipped there. Um, that's not to say that he didn't miss his mother. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't intend to say that. But I think that in God's grace and providence and according to Hannah's obedience, he blessed. And the child grew and found a sense of joy and contentment with, with God. Friends, let us never, let us never fear doing what's right. Let us never run for keeping the commitments that we've made. Let us never come up with all sorts of ridiculous justifications for our sin. Let us commit our lives to faithful obedience and trust that the the God of the universe and the King of our hearts will bring about his intended purposes in us and those we love. Friends, Hannah committed her child to the Lord that day because God had given him to her. What has God given you? What blessing of God are you failing to steward to bring about his glory? Let us trust all of them to Jesus. For if he had not given them, we would not have them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God that has come to us today through the life of Hannah and the birth of Samuel and the commitment that she made to to deliver him over to you and then the commitment that she had to to do just that. God, I pray that you would help us to learn faithfulness from these verses. God, I pray that, that, that this text would encourage us to believe that it is precisely when we have nothing and can do nothing and are insufficient for everything. It is precisely then that you stretch out your hand from heaven and you work in a miraculous and in a mighty way. And help us to trust you. Help us to love you more. God, help us to press on believing. Lord, preserve us and continue to give us faith. Forgive us of sin and reconcile us in Christ. God, help us to be faithful. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.